1: we
2: morning. You're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103. It's Elmarie Moore at the microphone with you until 10. And Connor Talon's also here in studio.
3: (laughs) Sorry, I haven't woken up yet.
2: Well, you see, that's the thing, isn't it? It's actually quite dark this morning. Yeah. It's really, if you haven't opened the curtains yet, you're not missing anything. Sometimes we'd start here on a Sunday morning and I'm all about, oh, the beautiful sunrise and the fantastic, mm. yeah, none of that. No. It's overcast, it's cloudy and it's still grey, dark, grey, you think, just it's the middle grey, of the night. Grey. And I have to say, um, you know, especially if you're in the car on the way home from a night shift, if you're particularly coming home from a night shift in the medical front or if you're coming home from the night shift and any one of those essential uh, posts that are still working right through the night but fair play to you thank you so much and hopefully now in the next 20 minutes or so we'll keep you company in the car before you land home please God so lovely to hear from you and hopefully between now and the next uh, couple of hours you'll enjoy the music we have and the guests we have. Loads of people on the programme this morning We've new singles left, right and centre. A couple of new singles, in fact, from Cork singer-songwriters. Some here, some not. J.D. Kelleher will be joining me later on to introduce his new single and we also have um, another new single that I'll be bringing you before nine.
3: Yes, and I've got loads of love and loads of fun and I've even got a mystery guest this week. The love is to grown a Heron. So we're in the company of filmmaker Paddy O'Shea, who's going to be following some of the greatest loves and romances in the history of Ireland on tg Car on Wednesday night. Uh, fun? Well, that's all in the company of Aideen O'Grady. I actually suggested at the end of the interview that she should be made the minister for fun because she's set up <laughs> Star it. Camp all over Ireland, but you can access them online for free. And the mystery, well, the mystery guest this week was a painting that I spent the night with some years ago and I didn't know who it was by or who it was of. So if you want to find out more, that's this week's Work of the Week.
2: Oh, it's so exciting to talk to Sophie Motley. She's the new artistic director of the Everyman Theatre uh, on McCurtain Street. Delighted to talk to her. It's a massive, massive new post uh, within the arts community. So it's a pleasure to have her first chat with me on the programme this morning. And we'll also be featuring brand new live recorded pieces of orchestral music with a new orchestral group in the city. I mean, could you believe it in the middle of a pandemic that some things like that could still happen, huh? There you are. Corp <laughs> people and musicians are just mighty. So, you know, you can text or WhatsApp us at any stage, of course, to 0833 96 96. 96. Have you a plan that you're hatching? Is there something afoot? We want to hear about it. lets it hanging. That's a piece called All in the Past. It's taken from an album called Roots. I like that one. It's the Royal Stockholm Philharmonic and the soloist there is Martin frust You're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96 FM and C103. I want to say hello there as well to Mags in Glenmire. It's lovely to hear from you, Mags. Thanks a million for mm-hmm. texting in and uh, good morning as well to Martina who's on her way home from the night shift. I hope you're going well on the road there, Martina. Now, do you know what I really, really miss in all of this pandemic business. I really, I miss sitting and listening to a live orchestra. And I have never taken for granted my perch whenever I'm doing MC. Usually I'm sitting side stage and just underneath the French horns in City Hall when orchestras like, for example, the Cork Concert Orchestra have filled the place to the rafters. And it's just pure magic.
3: Yeah. I know it's one of the things that gives you the focus it and the energy. Yeah. yeah. And who knows when, when we'll be able to go to an orchestral event again, but it hasn't stopped the Cork Orchestral Society from still planning and performing a brand new season of concerts. Now we can't sit in the Curtis Auditorium in the School of Music, but we can watch them online. So it gets underway next Saturday.
2: Now, the Cork Orchestral Society have these seasons of concerts all the time, and they're just beloved, beloved by dedicated audiences in Cork. And I'm really, really thrilled to hear about this season. They recorded it in, of course, the strictest of circumstances and conditions. But even with all those parameters, it must still must have been just so emotional as a musician to sit and play. And that's kind of where I started the chat when I was chatting to Tom Crowley.
4: Yeah, it's it's certainly very nice to be back. We actually already have done the recordings and edited the first two concerts that'll be released in January and February. So I, I've already experienced that joy and excitement of of being in a room with people making music again, and it uh, certainly is nice to have it back. All right, in my life anyway.
2: Well, yes, because being a musician who has has a soul filled by playing with other musicians, there is truly nothing like it. So this first six months of the year, the Cork Orchestral Society is pretty much banked on the whole thing being completely online.
4: Yeah, so what we did, I suppose, to make a, a longer story short, is we looked at the program as it was planned before lockdowns and before COVID and all that. We we, we work generally quite a bit ahead. So we looked at what we had planned and tried to refine us into something mm-hmm. that would work these days. I mean between say January and June of this year, ordinarily, we would put on about 15 concerts. So we've paired that back and we're going to go with six. But with that six, we brought in a fill-in crew and, and a sound crew and, and we're kind of making a production of each one. So hopefully, we'll help people scratch that itch a little bit for the next six months.
2: It's never the same, obviously, from being in a live performance. And I know it's difficult for people in theatre to have cameras there and to try and walk that tightrope of presenting a stage play in a filmed format. Was it very different for the musicians coming together to do something like this?
4: Well, I I, I spoke a lot with them um, in preparation before we ever hit roll on any of the cameras. We talked a lot about what format we'd pursue and, and the general consensus was that the artist seemed more excited about the idea of having, say, a rehearsed record session. So instead of going in and and play and kind of trying to deliver a live performance without an audience, which, which has many challenges associated with it. We went in and we rehearsed and recorded and I I guess much in the same way you might produce an album, Mm -hmm. we would have spent a day refining and later editing all of this footage and creating a kind of an online performance that will be... Released in January, but the first one was actually recorded in September.
2: Wow. Uh, Oh my gosh. It's been ready for a while. Jeepers, Tom. That's amazing. That's amazing. And starting off a new year also featuring a newly founded Cork Ensemble, is doubly exciting. Tell me about 13 Strings.
4: Yeah, so 13 Strings. Originally, I mean, uh, the the plan was that they would launch our season in September. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of fitting that they are launching in January 1st in this new format. So a, a friend and colleague of mine and a great bass player, Dave Whitler, yeah. who is originally Canadian, but I'd say he's been in Cork as long as I have at this <laughs> point, um, he came to me with this idea of forming a very small string orchestra with just thirteen players in it and and he had all these amazing ideas for the repertoire that they'd play, and I guess you know this is our opportunity to give that idea a bit of light
2: so very specific choice and curation of instruments within that chamber group and that then has a knock-on effect of the kind of music that you would program and play with them.
4: I suppose it does. I mean, when you've 13 people, it would be over-ambitious to aim for, you know, (laughs) Tchaikovsky, something like that. So I suppose... You know, mirroring uh, an awful lot of what we've all done in terms of COVID, you know, you look at the 13 players and the the combination of instruments and you you figure out, you know, what is the best possibility here? Well, what music is beautiful with 13 string players? Um, And that's how we kind of went at it.
2: I mean, I know this was perhaps intended to be the first live concert in September, but the actual programme of music that's chosen then for this group is, a, to take your word, is a beautiful concert for the start of the year.
4: Yeah, I think so too. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Well, I guess I've already seen it, but I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to seeing how it gets on and, and how people um, relate to us.
2: The most important thing, though, Tom, really, is that people know how to access these concerts. So the next, the very first one rather, in the series is this coming Saturday, the 23rd of January.
4: Yep, this coming Saturday, the 23rd of January um, we will be launching the series on our website which is Cork Orchestral Society.ie and you can follow us on, on Facebook and all the usual social medias to get more information. But essentially, on Saturday the 23rd, we'll be putting up the video online on our website. And we had a long discussion as a board and we've decided not to put it behind a paywall. There'd be a, a donate button and we'd be very delighted if people were to donate towards the cause on the page, but we will be, yeah, it is going up live on the 23rd.
2: Is there a specific time for that
4: concert? Not really, no. Um, We'll probably put it up at about six o'clock, but the the idea behind this would be, I suppose we're stepping away a little bit from an awful lot of uh, the norms we'd normally associate with a concert. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the musicians already, it's been quite a departure, and so it'll be up there for a month. So yeah, we'll put it up at six o'clock or thereabouts on Saturday, but the idea being that people are able to access it from Saturday rather than on Saturday. We released the second concert in February, and the idea is that the second concert will replace the first concert on our page. So, I mean, there's an awful lot to be said to having that sense of occasion of a date and a time. And- I mean, that's very much what, as you were saying, what concerts are about in terms of their social setting, I suppose. But we talked about it and we decided that in this context, that accessibility is very important as well. And we'd hate for people to miss the concert for any reason if they are interested in it. So we're we're just going to leave it online and people can access it at their own their own leisure, I suppose.
2: No, that's fantastic because the Cork Orchestral Society is almost 100 years old. What is the last anniversary you were celebrating?
4: You're ageing us just a little bit. Um, <laughs> we're 83 years old now. 83. So we started just, just before World War Two. Actually, this these lockdowns and, and COVID has marked the only the second break in our programming in 83 years it's been it's been quite an experience for us and everyone else, of course. But yeah, 83 years old, who's been at it work while.
2: Well. 83 years in, to be taking all the sort of production into account of filming, editing, sound, streaming and everything like that, it's far indeed from what they would have envisaged back in the 1930s. But what a tremendous, tremendous thing for the Cork Orchestra Society to do now. So, from next Saturday, the 23rd, people can Make a sense of occasion out of it if they wish and have a little watch party or something like that if they wish. But you're going to have the concert up online for the entire month until the concert number two in February. And I'm looking forward to chatting to you about that then as well. Tom, thanks a million.
4: Not at all. Thanks very much for having me on now,
2: that is Tom Crowley. That's the chairperson of the Cork Orchestral Society. And here is a small snippet of Mendelssohn's String Sinfonia number two, which will be part of that first concert beginning next Saturday. really, really pleased the Cork Orchestral Society is somehow managing to perform these series of concerts for the first six months of the year. That first one will be available from next Saturday for the rest of the month until the concert number two comes in February. We'll remind you about that again next week. love that piece. That is, of course, the orchestral version and treatment of the Universal. Really nice one. You know, um, we might have space for one or two specific music requests in the programme as well this morning. You can text or WhatsApp at any stage to 0833 96 96 96. And I guess here on a Sunday morning, we're particularly used to getting requests for music from the movies or music and favourite songs from musicals. So, I'm open for suggestions. And if I can get them in, I promise I will. Wasn't it lovely to be chatting there to Tom Crowley about live music coming up in Cork? Um, even though it was already like recorded, but at the same time to have musicians playing live together in a series of concerts. It's fantastic. And another movement that we were talking about before Christmas. In fact, Connor, you were doing an interview about the live venue collective that's, uh, that's underway and I know that the White Horse has in fact got a brand new series of concerts that they've been filming and recording.
3: That's right. They've been working away on all the technical side of it. They've Basically built their own, it's like you could say TV studio, sound studio upstairs in the White Horse. Like it's always a great little space anyway, like, you know. So uh, I was talking to one of the lads involved in it during the week and they're having a lot of fun getting all that together. So watch that space.
2: Doesn't it just feel your heart? Cause I know the news and the papers are full of all sorts of bad news this morning. But in the meantime, the sun is rising and Mac has sent in the most fantastic photographed me uh, from the sunrise in Yall, taken from next to the ambulance where he's on duty for the rest of the day. So, lovely to hear from you, Mac, and mind yourself. Cork's 96FM and C103. The Arts House with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh, flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do. <laughs> Thanks a million, Jess. That's Jess Lean in the newsroom. Now then, Connor's been taking a look at what's making the front pages of the papers today. I'm
3: afraid I've been beaten to it already this week by the newsroom because uh, Jess Lean has actually given us basically what he is on the front pages of all of the Sunday newspapers <laughs> because that's it the is, main news. is the news this morning, yes. Lockdown could last until past April, that's according to the Sunday Independent. Schools may close until March. Hospitality shut up until summer. Warning as 60 deaths are confirmed. That's the great stories there on the front page of the independent or not so great stories, I should say. But it's the word great is what caught my eye. It's the Great Percy Pig Pandemic. It's Brendan O'Connor's column. And if you want to find out what that is, you'll have to read it because I'm keeping that one to myself, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I'll move on to the Sunday Times. And again, as you would have heard in the news, HSA predicts UK strain to cause 70% of new cases. That's the main story in the Sunday Times. The Sunday Business Post... the business post as it's called state in bid to stock up on AstraZeneca vaccine ahead of approval. So that's some good news to look at. So I decided to have a look around inside the papers to see if I can find some stories of relevance to the arts or of Cork and I found one here by Ellie Bracken in The Independent. The headline was Council Scraps 60k Maureen statue as quote not a good likeness. That's a 60,000 euro life-size bronze statue of legendary Hollywood actress Maureen O'Hara, due to be unveiled in West Cork, has been scrapped. The statue has been discarded as it was, quote, not a good likeness, local sources said. The statue of the Dublin-born acting giant was due to be unveiled in Glen in West Cork, which became the actor's adapted home after she moved there permanently in 2005. And Cork County Council confirmed that the €60,000 statue has now been abandoned, telling the Sunday Independent in a statement that the commissioned statue of Maureen O'Hara is not due to be unveiled in its current form. Glen of Tourist and Development Association informed Cork County Council in 2017 that they had commissioned a life-size statue which would be modelled by a sculptor and subsequently cast in bronze by a third party. And that's a story there by Ali Bracken. I mean, there, she writing. was just
2: the most stunning, beautiful woman. Absolutely. It's either her... Like her, or it's not, and you know
3: exactly what she looked like because you sat next to her one evening. I
2: did, had a most most fantastic, fantastic night and an honor. I'll always, always cherish, yeah.
3: Yeah, well, I was looking around other stories as well. There's a weekly. He's called Foodies Fight Back by Lucinda O'Sullivan in the Indo and the Imperial Hotel has been featured and I just learned a load of things that people probably know anyway but did you know that Franz Liszt gave a piano recital there Charles Dickens gave a reading William Makepeace Thackeray took tea in the lounge Daniel O'Connell addressed a glittering assemblage and Michael Collins spent his last night in room 115 before his fateful journey to bail so there's loads of things I learn about Imperial that I didn't know about. Hilary Rose is featured in My Cultural Life and if you don't know who I'm talking about, that's oh Raid my gosh, in The Young Offenders.
2: <laughs> she's a tremendous actress. Yeah, I'm delighted. And so
3: you'll find out what she's into also. And finally, Emeril Kelly gave Gar San Lazar players a fantastic review in The Independent describing it as a triumph. How it is by Beckett has been adapted by then and she basically says at, at the end of an fantastic interview that it is terrific theatre. So well done there to the lads.
2: I was chatting to Sophie Motley who's yes. the new artistic director of The Airman, and she was also talking, actually, about that performance and work in progress from Gareth Lazar. But I was intrigued by the fact that so many things that you were talking about had kind of flashback or, or memory, stuff yep. like that. And I suppose, you know, when we are faced with sort of extended lockdowns and more is being asked of us and we have to dig deeper and we have to cut, cut, cut our contact with other people, that's when we kind of dip back into nostalgia, isn't it? And we look for things that give us comfort. Yeah. So... I went with this one. I hope it suits. It's um, the way we were.
3: This was a great way of describing something that's a great work of art, is that when you look at it, you recognize something in it straight away. Well, the very first second I looked at this week's Work of the Week, I recognized something that I had actually seen before, or something quite like it. But I couldn't explain why, other than the fact that I'm sure if my memory serves me correctly, that I'd actually spent the night in the company of this week's Work of the Week or something that looks like it. So to find out more about this mystery, (laughs) I had a chat with Assistant Curator Michael Waldron from the Crawford Art Gallery. Michael, this week you're going to help me solve a mystery of a visit I made to Dublin many, many years ago in the company of a group of actors where one night we were staying in a gallery of all places and it was in one of the suburbs of dublin city it was on the edge of the city i I can't remember the street but i remember it was near enough to the city center anyway and i remember being greeted by this lovely woman and being told that there was a bunk bed upstairs and that i was sleeping in the gallery all i know is when i looked at this week's work of the week I recognised it straight away. I recognised it as one of a series of portrait heads that Louis Le became internationally famous for. And I had no idea that the Crawford Art Gallery actually has one. You've got a Louis Le
5: Well, we actually have about five. <laughs> <laughs> but we're only showing one today.
3: <laughs> so, the head, I don't know who I was looking at. All I know is it was probably the 80s or the 90s, but whatever it was. And possibly the person that we met was a friend of one of the cast members. I think, when I recognised the name Anne Madden, I think that was the connection. Because she was Louis Le wife.
5: Yes, indeed. So Anne Madden and, and Louis Le Brocci were, I suppose, that pair that would, would show off at exhibition openings of their own art or, or other people's. So they were very much known to to be a unit. And Anne Madden, of course, is, is still going strong. And yeah. she's
3: still with us. Now, it was a studio where I was staying in and that quite possibly one of Louis Le Brocci's paintings would have been hanging on an easel. Because I do remember this eerie, ghostly figure looking at me while I was trying to get to sleep one night many years ago and that's it's a, it's a ghostly memory is all I have I don't know why I was there and every time I saw a Louis Le painting I said I've seen one of those before because it kind of didn't help me get to sleep one night <laughs>
5: Gosh no I can, I can imagine <laughs> this being a little bit unsettling yeah. as it tears down on you but I suppose Le was a uh, Dublin an artist and yeah. and and so Ian and Anne Madden either were represented by galleries in Dublin or yeah. perhaps it was a premises. I don't know
3: yeah. this is a mystery there you go anyway it's just it's like one of those ghostly memories that you have but that's the predominant feeling you get when you look at this you've written very well about it this week very descriptive language altogether because you talk about and you quote from Louis Le you talk about how he goes about doing portraits of people in fact you use the phrase he paints people from the inside out.
5: It's always interesting to hear the voice of the artist yeah. in an audio or, or written down and we're always very lucky when an artist reflects on their work to to explain their intention. Louis de Brocci himself considered this idea of really uncovering or discovering so I think I'll use his own words he's way more eloquent, eloquent than me. <laughs> in 1979 he said when you are painting, you are trying to discover, to uncover, to reveal. I sometimes think of the activity of painting as a kind of archaeology, an archaeology of the spirit. So he, in this case, sort of digs with the paintbrush, or the palette knife, or whatever tool at his disposal, and and that act of digging, it's not a physical digging, but it is a spiritual one. It's a one that is trying to get to the heart or the essence of something. And in this case, the heart or essence of a
3: person and a friend of his. And Samuel Beckett is the person we're talking about. When you look at the image that stares at you, you certainly see it as something that's coming through the mists of time. Going through the past, it's something that is slowly burning its imagery on your subconscious. Because that's the level we're looking at. It's, it's almost, it's so suggestive. And all of the colours, there's an amazing palette of colours when you look at it. You don't notice it at first.
5: Yes, because it's, it's such a stark image. So let us conjure up the image for those listening. Yeah. It's essentially a white canvas or it's like grayish white.
3: Yeah.
5: It's almost a meter tall. So it's, it's, it's not an, uh, a small scale. Yeah. But from the center of it, as you say, it's almost like a veil is being lifted oh. or, you know, there's this sense that something is coming through. Yeah. And right at the center, there's a real kind of incredible detail of colors layered upon each other. They start to form a face. So the colours would be blue, little hints of red and brown, possibly purples, little hints of green. And these all come together to just describe the features of Samuel Beckett's very recognisable and very, I suppose, withered and lined face.
3: Yeah, and his hair, he had that very recognisable hairstyle as well.
5: Yes, so that you just get these strokes of kind of hair that is... Slightly swept back but it's almost as if we're in touch with another realm it's kind of spectral or ghost-like, so as <laughs> if we're in a seance and Samuel Beckett is coming back to speak with us beyond that veil.
3: So you can imagine how I felt that night. I don't know whose portrait I was looking at because I can't really put a date on it. You were talking about the late 70s when you were giving us those quotes earlier on. All of these portrait heads that he did, he obviously did them over a considerable period of time.
4: Yes, so it was
5: a sort of a series. I don't know if he ever intended it to be a series, but yeah went on for so long. Of course, they were popular, and he kind of partially made his name on these works. But more than that, it seems like it was something that stayed with him. And he kept going back to rethink that idea and to puzzle it out further and push it, as opposed to its limits. So in our collection, we have the series of heads, so one of Beckett, one yep. of James Joyce, and two of W.B. Yeats.
3: Excellent.
5: Now, three of these date to 1994, including the one of Samuel Beckett. Right. But the earlier one, also of Yeats, dates to the 1970s.
3: Ah, that's it, yeah, that makes a bit of sense, yeah. Because I'm I'm certainly, no, I didn't actually start acting until sometime in the mid-80s, and maybe during that decade or so, we started to go on the road from Cork and bring shows to Dublin Theatre Festival and things like that. And because there wasn't a lot of money, we actually had to ask people to put us up in certain places, and it was friends of friends, and that's how it came about that I ended up, as I say, spending the night in the company of the ghost of some famous person. Which one, I don't know, it could have been Yeats... It certainly wasn't Beckett anyway, because that was done later. Whoever that was, I'll never forget that skull-like face just looking down on me from an easel as I tried to get to sleep one night. Now, anyone who looks at this, I suppose the predominant thing that catches your eye is that it's not like something that's decomposing. It's something that's recomposing right before your very eyes.
5: That's it. It's it's sort of, while we might think of it as ghostly and spectral, Hmm. it's not... Macabre, and it's not sinister in in the kind of way of 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 losing something. Mm-hmm. It's as as you say, more like something is rematerializing, coming into being. I, I suppose I'll return to Louis Le words about two years before he painted this particular work. He said that clearly, it is not possible to paint the spirit. You cannot paint consciousness. You start with the knowledge we all have that the most significant human reality lies beneath material appearance. So in order to recognize this, to touch this as a painter, I try to paint the head image from the inside out. So as you mentioned already, it's as if he is constructing or reconstructing. So he's beginning with something inside His idea of Samuel Beckett, who was his friend, and then kind of constructing it outwards, layer upon layer upon layer, like we would have bone and muscle and, and skin.
3: Yeah make it's extraordinary. We've had to use so many words and so many ideas and so many concepts over so many weeks to discuss so many works of art and this is one that as soon as you look at it, you just recognise it instantly. In fact, language in itself kind of fails when you are faced with portraiture like this. It's beyond words. It is what it is and it's what made Louis Lebronchi what he was. It's the, it's the most unique form of portraiture I've ever seen. I congratulate late Louis Le Brocchi for having done what he did it was a minor miracle I'm glad I spent the company one night in the ghostly presence of some famous Person from the past. Finally, I have one question: Where would we find Mr. Beckett now in the in the Crawford Gallery? Whose company is he keeping?
5: Oh well, he's rubbing shoulders. Although he has no shoulders in this painting, but he, <laughs> he's rubbing shoulders with the best of them. Really, you know, he would probably appreciate our loss of language and our loss of words. But he is rubbing shoulders with Nano nagel and. <laughs> Father Matthew, Conal Creedon, Paula Meehan, Lennox Robinson, <laughs> you name it, they're, they're all in there
3: with him. Okay. So I'm sure they're having good chats. Yeah, I'd love to see a film version called A Night at the, the Crawford Gallery to see what kind of fun and crack these ghosts could get up to if they were let out for one night. In the meantime, don't let my imagination run away with itself. Let people see for themselves what a Louis LeBronchi portrait head looks like, particularly the one of Samuel Becker just by going to CrawfordArtGallery.ie online and go to Work of the Week. Again, Michael, thanks again for, uh,
2: thanks for the chat.
5: <laughs> thanks as always. Mm-hmm.
2: I love that series. I love that series that you do with Michael, but I also love that series of portraits from
4: Louis Le I was yep. going to
2: say Samuel Beckett here because I'm looking <laughs> at a whole series of names in front of me. And the funny thing is, like, we're married since, what, 2002? Yep. And yeah. <laughs> I'm still finding out stuff about you. I thought I knew everything. Anyway, anyway. And Some listeners
3: are finding out that we're actually married.
2: <laughs> Let's move on. Another text came in here a while ago to say, hello, where was room 115, please? That's kind of going back to your look at the papers. And of course, yep. it refers to a story in the Imperial Hotel. Yes. And that kind of ties into something we're talking about this week because we watched that series of great Irish love stories on tg Cahar during the week, which they uh, covered the story, beautiful story of Michael Collins and mm. Kitty Kiernan and of course Michael Collins had his last night in the Imperial Hotel. And later on in the programme we're going to be talking to Paddy O'Shea about the next love story in that big, big series Sceal to Gráin na heran. And this is a beautiful piece uh, from the harp which is going to be played on this Wednesday's programme. Well, the series on TG Cahar on Wednesdays is Scalte a here and we'll be talking about it in the second half of the show. That particular piece of music comes from this upcoming Wednesdays programme. That's Jane O'Sullivan from Kerry on the Harp. But the entire score being built around it is from composer Darren Sheen from Ballincollig. It's just beautiful. The great Irish love stories that help shape our history as well as their lives. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And we'll be chatting to Paddy O'Shea, in the second half of the program, but meanwhile, you're listening to The Arts House on Cork's 96FM and C103. Time to head to news. Cork's 96FM and C103. The Arts House with Griffin's Potatoes Cork. Fresh, flowery and full of taste. It's at the root of what we do.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.